this all begs the question, has open source failed? Because what's happening right now is Stallman's worst nightmare, right? This is the world he didn't want to build. And not only has it been built, it's been built by people where the bottom 85% of what they're offering is all open source. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the 10% of crispy, flaky pastry on the top of it is the only bit that they actually built <laughs> over the succulent meat pie of open source software. <laughs> wow. and welcome to Bad Voltage Season 3, Episode 11. We hope you're all safe and well. I'm, of course, here with Stuart Ian Langridge and Jeremy Deirdre Miguel Garcia. <laughs> How are you both doing today? Always just enthralling to, to see what you're going to insert in the middle there. It's <laughs> it's, it might not be good, but it is predictable. Um, so in today's show, we're going to be talking about software as a service and paying a certain amount a month each uh, each month to get access to a service, and we've all been horrified by how many services we're paying for. <laughs> so we're going to get into that and get a sense of whether that's a good or a bad thing. But before we get into our news, how are you two doing? Are you you living the dream still, or what's going on? You doing okay? Don't know that I'd call it a dream. Well, your bog exploded. Well, yeah, because so there's, some, there's, there's something... Um, and this is not a euphemism, to be clear. There's something wrong with my bathroom. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I, I shall be... I, I, I'm, uh, I'm currently attempting to... I'm having a break in my texting backwards and forwards with the plumber in order to record this show. So This is the, big, this is the beginning of the worst porn movie I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, so. no, no good can come of this. It's just one more damn thing this year as far as I can Mind you, tell. to be fair, it's not the first time you've had a strapping young lad come to your house with gloves and a mask on, is it? <laughs> so, anyway. I, wow. I don't even know what I'm being accused of at this point. <laughs> a good time. And now, this. All right, so what have we got on the funny news side? Do you want to jumpstart as Mr. Language? Because you pulled most of this together, didn't you? <laughs> well, um, the first one I thought was actually quite interesting. Um, in uh, Tokyo, they've been putting uh, public toilets in the, uh, in the parks. And okay. they, these are uh, public toilet cubicles made out of transparent glass. <laughs> Well, that goes opaque, though. Well, uh, to be clear, it, yeah. Um, while someone oh, is you inside... you out with the show notes. Yeah, I read oh. it and thought, wow, that sounds really interesting. Don't know what's funny here. Seems very cool. I'd like to try one. <laughs> Obviously, they're not just permanently transparent, <laughs> for goodness well, sake. That's the, it says in, in the document, Japan, see-through public toilets in Tokyo Given parks. some of the things we've included in this segment, not obvious, by the way. <laughs> I'm, I'm not dis I'm not disagreeing with you um, apparently um, they're pitches so that you can inspect the cleanliness of the loo and see if anyone is inside the headline not my fault Sky News is fault okay but, interesting this is this is thematically are, consistent with the state of your toilet right now isn't I know, it like, it's just, it just seems, I'm noticing a toilet theme at this point in the show seems to be on my mind it's all it's all coincidence I assure you um but I thought I thought what was interesting is that they they say um at night the facility lights up the park like a beautiful lantern and they are actually quite pretty looking things um uh, as long as you can get past the fact that it's a public bog in a park. But they're actually pretty cool-looking item, I'll be honest with you. And yeah, they did look neat. decent architect has designed it and everything, so fair play to them. One thing I just want to uh, make a recommendation for people to look up on YouTube. So there used to be a TV show in England called Trigger Happy TV. Um, <laughs> where basically this... No! No, guy on the phone! No! Right. <laughs> this guy, Dom Jolie, uh, and he'd basically play pranks on people. And, and one of the things that they did is they had one of these, you know, those public toilets in the middle of a town somewhere. 
and uh, an old lady goes into the toilet and clearly locks the door and is in there for a few minutes and all these people show up out the front with a sign that says our one millionth customer and there's like a band playing and she comes out and she, oh, it's it's not good look that up on youtube it's a lot of fun anyway this uh, what's next uh, rather disturbingly and it hadn't even occurred to me that there's a theme going on here but you're this not wrong quite um, the scatological this, news today yeah. um yeah amazon um have apparently fired uh one of their drivers for uh delivering a package and then having a dump in the woman's back garden <laughs> <laughs> which Honestly, this has nothing to do with technology apart than it has the word Amazon in it. It just amused me. Um, a couple of her quotes are gems. Oh, yes, absolutely, actually. Um, what are the quotes? So, the one I liked was, I asked what the heck he was doing, and he just remained booty. <laughs> Can't even read it. And then, and then she said, oh. just... He messed with the wrong woman. I'm a blue belt in Taekwondo. And the anger and rage he saw was enough to put the fear of God in him. Presumably while his trousers were still around his ankles. To openly take a poo, that's just not the done thing. <laughs> yeah, you see. I mean, obviously we're all terribly juvenile, but this this story yes. did amuse me a bit and, and, to and, openly take a poo that's just not the done thing that's the most English thing I've ever I know. seen it is a Apparently, very English article a spokesperson for, this, is, this happened in Nottingham by the way um, a oh. spokesperson for Amazon said this does not reflect the high standards we have for our delivery partners <laughs> you're not kidding <sighs> yes Oh, what I want to know is, like, did he go behind a bush or was it on the bird table? Like, what was um, going on? Uh, uh, this is um, uh, the 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 woman in question who is a blue belt in Taekwondo um, also appears to have all of Nottingham Forest in her back garden. Looking at the picture, <laughs> <laughs> so um, she caught him uh. defecating among trees in her property. And you look at the pictures. Yeah, I mean. If you look quite carefully, you can see Robin Hood and all of his merry men living in her back garden. So, it's <laughs> a certain wow, amount of space. Okay. Yeah. But yes, Sharon has been promised a gift voucher that she is yet to receive as a goodwill gesture from Amazon. So, well done. No shit. Um, <laughs> can we have one that's not poo related? Uh, we can. Um, this uh, the, fi- the final one uh, in, in this particular section is uh, a chap who decided to break into an ATM, a cash machine, uh, in Chicago um, and got busted because while he was doing that, he was live streaming it. <laughs> <laughs> I... According to police, uh, Neil filmed the alleged incident on a cell phone camera, smiling at the camera before hitting the machine with a hammer. <laughs> they, <laughs> uh, what, uh, what I think is a bit dodgy about this, um, NBC5 Chicago, as far as I can tell, he wasn't live streaming it at all. Um, because authorities released footage of the incident on Wednesday, but then it says later in the live streamed video. So I don't really understand whether he did but the the busies put out the word saying hey here's a video of some dude taking a selfie while he smashes up an atm 90 minutes later they started getting tips on who he yeah. was <laughs> so he's been dragged off by the police and through his muffled screams <laughs> all you can hear is remember to like and subscribe it's just i mean seriously it's I I, I I do not understand this uh, this new approach to live streaming, but you know it seems to have gotten some attention. So fair play. <laughs> Alrighty, so let's uh, let's get back into some uh, into our usual serious mode. Something more serious, yes. Yeah. What have we got? What have we got? And again, I didn't do any work in the news this week, so I genuinely don't know what we've got. <laughs> Jeremy, we've got Epic Games. Do, do you want to do this, do you Jeremy? Want to kicks off about. Yeah, so this one could, I think, be a segment or even an episode all of its own, but Epic recently got banned from the Apple Store, and then shortly thereafter from the Play Store, and what's there, there's so many different facets to this story that it'll be difficult to cover quickly, but I, a couple of interesting tidbits, I think, are, one, the reason they got kicked out is they added their own payment system, which on, on Apple's platform is not allowed. They did, see, they did say while that update was out that... Over 50% of people used their payment versus Apple Pay, which I was a little surprised about. What's more interesting now to me is Apple is now threatening to pull their 
developer account completely, which would not only mean that they couldn't run any of their apps on iOS, but would also mean they could not release their engine on Mac, which is a really wide sweeping edict if you think about it. Yeah. So curious what you mm. think about that aspect or or what you think about the story in general. Oh, I mean, there's a whole bunch of other stuff. Epic have sued Apple on, uh, for antitrust yep. on this, and it's just all over the place. Um, and you're not wrong. This is a whole segment in itself or possibly half a dozen different segments. Yes. Um, and to, yeah. su- to some extent, I'm a bit a plague on both their houses about this. <laughs> so... I, I think we, oh, I think we might want to do a segment on this. There's actually kind of a lot for us to squeeze into this. Uh, and Apple is what they're about to become what, two trillion dollar company, something it. like that. Yeah. Oh, they just passed it. Yeah. yeah. It's. I don't like that. But I, I think like it's interesting because basically Apple is saying, "Well, we want everyone to have a unified payment system, and we we can secure this payment system very well. Where if we allow any payment system, th- there be knock on effects and." And to be clear, that's bullshit because they only do this for digital products. You can, I mean, uh, part of Epic's uh, complaint about this is they're perfectly happy for companies to sell things and use their own payment system as long as they're not flogging you digital stuff, right? So it, if it you're sounds buying to me like we want to make this into a segment, food or clothing or frankly ride sharing or. Um, renting an apartment off someone, um, you know, do you have to use their payment system for all that? You don't have to for food. You don't have to if you're buying clothes through an app. Why should you if you're buying a game? What's the difference? It does seem like a massive double standard here. Yes, and I think that's the point. Yeah, because you can get, I'm assuming, I don't have an Apple phone, but I'm assuming you can get DoorDash through it. You can get, yeah, Airbnb and Amazon and Uber. Um, all and you can pay with your... Use, and even Netflix, um, you can subscribe on Netflix's site and yeah. use Netflix. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. It is a huge double standard. I mean, if they said, okay, everyone's got to do this, then, okay, I wouldn't agree with it, but at least they'd be being consistent. But it's obviously, they're knocking on that it's some kind of technical restriction or it's about privacy or about providing people a consistent experience, and that's bollocks. What's about them getting their 30%? Yeah, so what's your actual reason? And the reason is, yeah, 30% plus, if we say Amazon, you have to do this, Amazon are going to go, how about we're just not on your phone? Apple (laughs) is such an odd duck because, like, on one hand, like, speaking personally, I quite like Tim Cook and I like his approach to privacy and things like that. But this is is just a dick move from from Apple. Well, I uh, mean, to be clear, Google have done it as well for exactly the same reason. Mm, um, yeah, uh, and the thing is, Apple's it. weird with the restrictions because if you look at WeChat, no, no one's allowed to have their own app store within an app store. Yeah, except WeChat is because in China, WeChat is bigger than the iPhone, and if you had to choose between one or the other, you would choose WeChat. Yeah. And Apple immediately was like, "Okay, fine, no one can have a app store except for WeChat." And that's exactly the thing. That's what I think annoys people who are annoyed about this is it's flagrantly just monopolistic behavior. Where you're not the monopoly, they won't do it. At which point, all of your other reasons are obviously lies. Just because you can get away with it, you will. Have you both noticed a tipping point here where ardent longtime Apple fans, Gruber as an example, are pretty anti-Apple on this in a way that I don't remember people being so unified about before? I've also noticed that This seems like a a tide change here. I yeah. I think um I mean the uh, the the symbolism that Epic decided to use for this which is ridiculous right um they're uh caricaturing Apple's 1984 ad about um Apple you know the implication from Apple's ad back in 84 was that they were the plucky underdog striking back against the big oppressor and they've managed to maintain that we're the plucky underdog striking back against a big oppressor with a bohemian lifestyle kind of vibe about them, despite being the second biggest company on earth. But now they're, they're starting to push back on companies. You look at, I mean, we talked about, uh, Hay from, uh, the base camp people and, Epic and Epic are by no means some kind of plucky underdog, but 
Um, no. But nonetheless, it, it starts to look a lot less like we're doing this for your own good and everyone goes, you know what? It is for our own good. And it starts to look yeah. a lot more like exactly the kind of oppression that Apple pride themselves on having the vibe to standing up against. I I wonder, and this is this is there's no data behind this and which is normal. Um but there is this is a bit of a conspiracy theory. I wonder whether this is there's just an there's about to become an epic, no pun intended, gaming war. Because I think Apple are gonna go after the gaming market at some point. Um there's been some analysts that have been talking about that recently. Google are obviously going after like with Stadia oh, or Stadia. However you say it, studio. Well, Apple has Apple Arcade. Um, huh? Apple has Apple Arcade. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I'm uh, actually kind of surprised that they haven't, given that the fact that so many like we what? we were talking about Apple making a big play for the gaming market on Lug Radio no. a decade <laughs> ago, and it still hasn't happened. I know. I'm that surprised by arm this. Laptops. <laughs> yeah. I, I yeah i mean um i'm just surprised like given the fact that a lot of people who are you know who who use macs are creative people a lot of tech people use macs i'm surprised they haven't focused on that market well right? you see, you see it, it's interesting because um i don't know if the bloom is the on this thing in particular i've seen yes a lot of um long-term apple loyalists standing up against it but certainly in uh, you know, in my industry, which has got a lot of Macs in it and so on, the bloom seems to have gone off the rose a bit. No one is, you know, immediately switching back to a Dell laptop or anything. But there seems to be kind of, oh, God, yeah, no. new MacBooks come out, but uh, I'm, I don't know that I'm not that bothered about it. And I feel a bit let down by the last three or four years of laptops. And I feel a bit like, you know, I mean, you had... um People who are long-term Apple fans sneering at them for the idea they could go, here are a set of wheels, which are $750, right? (laughs) um, So I wonder whether, I don't know, have they started believing the hype a bit too much? Like, uh, none of these people will ever leave us. The seesaw can't ever tip. (laughs) We need... We need to do a segment on this. I think we should. Do a segment on this. Because we're running out of time to get through the rest of our news, and I think there's so much in this Apple... Just a segment on Apple. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what's going on? Apple, a check-in. Maybe we'll do it on the next show. I don't know. That'd be Apple and uh, chicken. If, if you'd like to hear <laughs> that show, <laughs> let us know in Slack, and we'll do it next show. Oh, we've yeah. already got the show title, Apple Apple Check-In Sausage. It's oh, perfect. Mate. Oh, We're yes. so good. Um, we are Ryan, so good. We're um, brilliant, we are. So here is um, the next thing, which... We're going to have to treat with um, much less seriousness than it deserves or much less gravity than it deserves. But I think this could be another segment again for the show after that, which is that Mozilla laid off 250 people. Yeah, a lot of people. And wrote a very corporate speak. We're going to refocus on different areas. um, Press release and laid off basically the whole MDN team. Yeah. And uh, which I'm really worried about because MDN's brilliant. I mean, uh, Chris Mills is still there, and he's fantastic. But uh, an awful yep. lot, an awful lot of people have gone from an awful lot of uh, Mozilla projects, which yep. are worthwhile. And they seem to be talking about we're going to refocus on things which bring in revenue and so on, which is important, and they need it. I just, I just fear they're not going to be very good at it. No, I mean, because their purpose has never been be be a brilliant money making machine, and they don't really know how. So I think one of their biggest problems is that the giant spigot of money that was Google advertising so untethered them from the day-to-day work that they were doing to the results yes. they had that they just thought, this giant pile of money's here, we'll do a bunch of stuff. And they were doing good work, to be clear, but it was so untethered, like I said, from the money coming in that there was no direct feedback loop at all. And yeah, that that. partially, I think, got them here. Partially, I think it's just been clear for a while that while she's d- did a great job for a while, Mitchell is just not the correct person to be leading Mozilla and hasn't yeah, been for a while. Why are they Why they are so resistant to change here, I, I don't know, but I, it, it seems far past time to me. I, I, don't, I don't know Mitchell Baker, um, but I'm told that uh, she thinks the right way about what 
what sh- value should be at the heart of Masilla, which is an important thing, I think. But whether th- whether that makes uh, her uh, the best person to lead it, I don't know. I think I mentioned this years ago. Years ago, I got asked to go and do a talk at the, one of their all hands uh, in Whistler in Canada, hmm. and um, and one of the major like the I was looking forward to seeing some people who I knew who worked at Mozilla. But one of the things that blew me away, and this was. I, I would argue that at this point, Mozilla was already kind of struggling with relevance, right? People were using Chrome. Um, it, this wasn't back in the, the glory Firefox days. Um, but what blew me away there was the atmosphere reminded me of the early days of Canonical. Hmm. This level of just like brutal enthusiasm and passion about the project and um, the whole money element don't worry about that. Just focus on making amazing software. And that was what it was like in the early days of Canonical. Like Mark was funding it and that was fine. And I think that they've just, they've just, I get the impression that you, you can't maintain that culture forever. It's a, it's an amazing culture to be a part of, but at some point you got to keep the lights on. You got to be sustainable. And I think they just hit that point. And it's sad because we need more people, more, more organize, organizations like that in the world. But I think they've just, this is going to sound mean, but they've just been crushed by irrelevance. Like they, they're in the they're in the mindset I think of people who are very passionate about open source and the open web, and they build great things. But I think in the general mindset of the of, of the world, you know, no one talks about Firefox anymore. People don't really talk about all a lot of what Mozilla's doing anymore. So that that's the thing that's most disappointing to me is I think they were doing really interesting work and what they were doing yeah. was really important, but they yeah. needed relevance and market share to be able to not only espouse those things but make those yes. things happen. And if they exactly. don't have market yeah. share, the work that they do is not going to matter. Yeah. I, it yeah. was interesting. It's, I, it's sad. I was watching, um, uh, uh, what's his name? The late night guy, Stephen Colbert. Mm. Right, Only a couple of days ago. And he was talking about something or other. And for some reason, I, I, I can't even remember the context at all, but he was um, doing a little riffy bit about doing something with your computer. And he's like, you know, put away that copy of Chrome, put down that copy of Firefox. And he mentioned Firefox. And I was simultaneously wow. quite pleased that that had yeah. happened. And also a little bit surprised that someone who's a normal person knew about it. And I, th- <laughs> and I honestly found myself thinking, <laughs> is this because he remembers Firefox being a big thing or because it actually still is quite a big thing outside our sphere where we are seeing it decline? Right. Or what? And I don't know the answer to that question. I mean, I still use it. <laughs> well, yeah, I do too. He didn't mention. He, he didn't mention Conqueror. <laughs> he did not. <laughs> How bad do you have to feel, by the way, for the Opera people? Like when Firefox makes you look irre- irrelevant. <laughs> like- um, you know that uh, everyone who was good at Opera left, and they got sold to some random company who's used them for advertising now, right? I remember they're, we talked about this in the yeah, show a while back. They're, they're, yeah. not, they're not the same company that they were. They, no, they, no, no, no. I mean, no. to be clear, when they were the same company that they were, they still they, got they were still way pretty. less attention than they ought to have done <laughs> and, still, and still punched way above their weight in terms of quality of work while no one cared. And possibly that's why the company got sold and everyone who was called their work somewhere else. But Yes, this is this is true. Yeah. This is true. But yeah, I think it's it's just a sad story, you know? I think we all we all understand why it's happened. But it's just um, it's another little bit of well, the of the open it's another chapter of open source that's closing, which well, is I think here's, sad. So. Here's the yep. other thing, and part of the reason I think it might be worth thinking about a segment on this is you're talking as if the game is done. Not nearly done, not um rescuable. You're like, nah, this is it, man. It's the end. And I wonder whether I mean, do you honestly think it can't be turned around at this point? I, I with Mozilla, unless I, they're clearly not willing to make the changes they actually need to make. To me, yeah, I think I think they need they need an intervention, and uh, I don't know what that intervention would look like. And like I like Mitchell Baker, and I think she's incredible. I think she's really smart. But I agree with Jeremy it, again, without wishing to make too many comparisons to Shuttleworth. Like one thing that he said was, when someone's been in a job for seven or eight years. Uh, they just don't look at the problems in the same way. You need fresh blood. You need fresh people to kind of come in. And I think they probably need some of that. I think Mitchell's done amazing things at Mozilla, but you just need fresh blood. 
uh, to go in a new direction. They need to find their relevance. Um, and at this point, I'm, I don't see how that's going to happen. I hope it does. Because we need Mozilla. Right. I mean, that's, that's the, because it seems to me like the two of you differ slightly on this. Jono, you're saying it doesn't seem rescuable. Jeremy, you, if I understood you correctly, it's like there's a bunch of stuff they could do that probably would work, but they're not prepared to, which is not the same thing. But I don't know if I'm misinterpreting you. Uh, somewhere in between. I think we're saying the same thing. (laughs) I think, I, I think we're saying similar things. I don't think they're out for the count, but I don't, I think Jeremy and I, I don't put words in your mouth, Jeremy, but I think we're both saying if they don't make those changes, right, okay. the pattern's not going to get any better. I certainly but, so. think that something has to change because, yeah, yeah the, 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 the graph slope is downwards and has been downwards for some time. And now it's getting to the point where people are starting to say, okay, it's now just too low and we can stop caring. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I, I just, well, I feel happy. Yeah, you know, <laughs> hooray, hooray, hooray for twenty twenty. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so, so uh, I think have... I think that will do for the show. Yeah, that will do. I think that will do. Should we get into into our main segment? Let's do it. Years ago, in the dim, distant depths of time, we used to buy software in boxes. You know, you go and spend £100 or $200 or whatever, and you get a piece of software, and you'd install it on your computer, and you'd be able to use it as much or as little as you wanted. And then the next version will come out, and you'd probably upgrade. Wasn't uh, that but these days, we- <laughs> <laughs> Well, we'll get into that. <laughs> uh, but these days, the, the model has turned to the SaaS model, right? Software as a service, where people will usually go and spend $20 a month or $30 a month or start out with a free trial or whatever, and you pay a monthly fee and you get access to the software, which usually runs on a website or doesn't always. We've seen this with audio plugins and other things where you, you pay to get to download the software. But then you get updates and, and other stuff for free as part of that plan. Now, this is how we've all moved to it, but we were chatting the other week because uh, we spent the last show entirely engulfed with news. Um <laughs> And, um, and we were, uh, well, I, I mentioned, you know, like, I'm, I feel like I'm just spending so much money on all of these different services. And you two mentioned that you have a similar situation. I think a lot of people are doing this. So is this, this is clearly the way of the future, but is this overall good for, for people? Does the model work? Um, it's clearly good for businesses because they can bring in a regular stream of, of income. But what do we think about this? So how do you guys use these SaaS services, first of all? One of the things which surprised me after we got to talking about this is I sat down and added up uh, how many things I'm paying for. And it's not that many, but I basically didn't think I was paying for any because I don't, <laughs> I don't really <laughs> like I, when you, when you talked about going and buying a piece of software in a box and then after that you'd paid some money and then it was yours, you know, like buying a toaster. <laughs> yep. I quite liked that model. That made sense to me. And I don't like the idea that you're now on the hook forever. And if you stop paying, you stop having the thing. Um, right. So I am pretty resistant to the whole idea of paying ongoing monthly money or so I, I will, I will say paying an ongoing monthly ransom in order to keep, um, uh, access to it. A ransom. <laughs> so I, so I kind of avoided, but I was still surprised to find I'm going through it going, why am I paying like $9 a month to Atlassian? <laughs> it's- and one thing we should clarify here, when we're, we're talking about business software. We're not talking about Netflix, where you, you pay to get access to movies and stuff like that. Yeah. We're primarily talking about using a service. Uh, uh, how about you, Jeremy? Like, Are you using a lot of these services? Are you, do you, are you happy with this? Or? I, am, I am using quite a bit. I don't know that I am willing to completely redefine the word ransomware quite yet. Once again, Jeremy's a pedant. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I would kind of define these almost in two different ways. There are sets of software that kind of replicate something that may have been a pay-for-once download it, use it, that version. And then there's things that provide really a monthly recurring benefit. So I pay for a crash plan, but every month they're storing my data and backing things up continually. So that seems like it fits the monthly model well. 
They do a thing yeah. every day, yeah. and by the month, I pay for it. So if I'm guessing are... your issue is with, I pay Todoist, for example, which is a to-do right. service. That could be desktop software. I don't want it to be desktop ser- software, A, because it almost certainly wouldn't run on Linux, which is what I use. But beyond that, I like that I can use it on my phone or, or log in on my laptop or log in on my desktop, and everything's just there. Everything syncs. I don't have to do anything. I get a notification wherever I am. And for me, the monthly utility is there. So I think this did make me do a little bit of an inventory, and I do use a, let's say, mildly alarming number of these services. But discreetly, every one of them, I believe, provides me the value that I am giving them. It is unfortunate for me how many of them I, I subscribe to. <laughs> <laughs> I, so I, I will, um, first of all, yes, ransom was unfair, but I think I'm justified in calling it a tithe. Um, but I agree. What is a tithe? Uh, I don't know you, what a tithe is. Are you paying 10% of your earnings? Uh, to the church. <laughs> um, Forgive my ignorance. What is a tithe? It was money used to pay to the church. Oh, okay. Um, like for, a tax. Yeah, yeah. Except they couldn't tax you because they weren't the government. But it was the, okay. it, it was a tax. Yes. <laughs> so if you wanted to go to church, you'd have to pay your 10%. No, you, you, were, you, you were contributing in order to sort of maintain the upkeep of the church, even if you never went. And I think that that gets back to... God's expensive. Jeremy, yeah. Gets back to sort of Jeremy's point. I think, yeah, if you're paying for an ongoing service, we excluded things like Netflix. But clearly with Netflix, you're not paying for the software, right? I mean, some of the money you spend gets spent on the software, but you're paying for ongoing access to their movie library and software just happens to be the way they deliver it. The way they deliver yeah. it used to be, they sent you DVDs in the post, right? Um, yeah. And the fundamental offering has not changed since then. So something where you are purchasing an ongoing service and the software is merely the means by which you access it, I don't think there's any problem with paying for that monthly in the same way that you pay rent to your landlord and in return you get ongoing use of the building. That's fine. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's where people uh where it's software where you used to you would have bought this piece of software for a sum of money and then it would be yours. And now they it basically all seems to have moved to you have to keep paying for this forever, otherwise we'll take it away. And I get why businesses have done this. It's loads better to have an ongoing revenue stream than have to make a sale and then find more customers to sell to. But just because right. it's handy for you businesses does not mean that it doesn't suck for us. Well, you could argue as well in favor of the businesses that it's uh, it's good for consumers because previously you'd have to go and spend $300, for example, on the bit of software, whereas now you can spend $20 a month and it gives you an opportunity to try it and get a full feature. Like, do you remember when it was, you know, you'd have this time limited or, you know, you know, feature locked uh, yeah, un- way of, of testing it out. But there is a whole industry dedicating dedicated to providing you with the means to finance purchases you can't afford in one go by spreading out the payments over time. I see no reason why the software industry feels like it has to do that as well. If I want to borrow money in order to buy something I can't afford now, I already know how to do that. <laughs> so you, you take issue mo- less with things like Crash Plan or, or yeah, Zapier that, and more with Adobe moving Photoshop into Creative Suite and charging you per month. Well, um, I I would take issue with Crash Plan if they charged you for the software, even if you used it to back up locally. But last time I used it, they don't. You could download the Crash Plan software and back it up to your own server. And I th- I believe that was free. If anything, but if they are, I don't use it, it like that, so I don't know. If it, it, you're backing up to their servers, right? Correct. So, yeah. so it's costing them money every month. Yes, and therefore, I think it's reasonable that you pay to defray that cost plus their profit. That seems fine to me. So, Dropbox, anything of that nature, you're fine. Yeah, with. I mean, I'm paying. Okay. I'm, I'm paying for Dropbox. I'm paying for Bitbucket, and um. Those are things where there's an ongoing utility to it. It's not something where I've bought it. Now I have everything I need to use it. I never need to talk to you again, but I'm obliged to because it's good for your business model. I have a counter thing, but like John, I was going to say you've been trying to talk for a hot minute here. I just wanted to say very briefly, I think I think you touched on the key point there, Ak, in that let, you know, if someone builds a bit of software, right, and then you have to pay per month. Like, So an example of this would be, um, there's a tool called Ecamm Live, right? And you can use it to 
record videos, right? Um, uh, but just take that one piece because it can do streaming. That's another piece that it does. But just the element of like it records video. You can record video on your computer and mix between different things like OBS. Um, I think your point is that if if they build the software and then you go and buy it, then their work is largely done, right? You're not paying. You can yeah. just go and – like that's how it would work previously. You buy software in a box. There'd be a limited warranty on it. You may get a bit of support, but usually not. And then – but they they build it and then they sell it. I think your point there that you touched on, Aqua, was um, with like with these backup services or email services or whatever, there's an ongoing monthly cost that you're that – you're, they are spending money to support you as a customer on an ongoing basis. What I find interesting is that, you know, so for example, Superhuman, which we covered previously, they obviously do that, right? They provide an, an online interface that they and they send email. Actually, they don't. That's a bad example because the email goes out yeah, through Gmail. They don't. They're, <laughs> um, they're, they're basically a front end. So Mailchimp some, is a better example. Yeah. So Superhuman, for example. I think they would say, yeah, we've got an ongoing cost because we've got to run all the web servers and everything. But that's because you've elected to deliver your software over the web. Which is how everybody how everybody delivers software today. Uh, so this, this was getting back to my point. I think previously <laughs> you paid a lot of money for something like Photoshop, $1,000. And yeah. you got a version and you maybe got a couple of minor upgrades, but you didn't get the next major release ever. So you downloaded a thing. That thing ran on one machine. So if you have three machines, you either have to pay for it twice or three times or however many you want to use it to use it legally. Yeah. And you got a version. And features were very slow to be rolled out. And they always incented you to upgrade to the next version. So you paid $1,000 on a regular cadence. Isn't it a better world where you pay $50 on a monthly cadence can use it on unlimited machines and get all of the features the day they're released, probably dozens of times a day, and bugs are fixed really, really rapidly. And the day you don't want to use Photoshop anymore, you just stop paying. Yes, that does mean as long as you want to use it, you'd pay, but you were paying $1,000 every other year anyway. Counter-argument, I would like you, Jeremy Garcia, to name one Photoshop feature which you find useful or could imagine finding useful, which wasn't in Photoshop in 2005, which if That's you a different bought argument. it 15 years ago, so you'd as still someone be who perfectly doesn't entitled Photoshop, to use. There isn't one. I would guess the right. fact that people kept upgrading at $1,000 a pop oh, means certainly. one of the features was useful. I don't know which one. I don't if, it. if it is useful to you as part of your job, for example, then yeah, totally you want to track the latest thing. I don't want to be using some version of my text editor from 2005. I agree with you. Stuff has happened since then. But the fact that I want to be on the upgrade treadmill and have the latest stuff for the software I find critical does not necessarily mean that I want that for everything. And I'm largely not getting the choice. I think this is why um if you look at a bunch of a lot of IoT things, they knock on they provide you an ongoing service. But that's mm. why I use the word ransom, because they've inserted themselves in the process. So you have to round trip everything through their servers. So if they shut down their servers, your device is a brick. You're not allowed to talk to it yourself. And the reason they're in the loop is because they can cut you off if you don't pay. And as far as I can tell, there's not really much else in the way of a reason. There are some technical benefits to round tripping things through their servers, but it's so convenient model for them and it's so much screws consumers. I don't think it does screw consumer. I mean, I'll, 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 I think one think, of the reasons. Would you think it was reasonable if the people you bought your cutlery off charged you every month for it? But you're comparing apples and chickens. Uh, but that's the point. I'm absolutely not. You've been convinced <laughs> that software is somehow You're comparing different. apples and chickens. That's the point. <laughs> <laughs> this this is exactly the thing. 15 years ago, software was a product that you purchased in exactly the same way that knives and forks and books are. You've been convinced that it's somehow different. And I will absolutely buy you that if what you're actually buying is a service, so you're buying service as a service, and they're just giving you the software essentially for free so you can continue to access the service, fine, pay every month. Yeah, but who honestly goes and buys? I mean, to what proportion, when you take into account all software, 
that we have in the world today, how many people go and buy, would, would go and buy a single piece of software with a feature set and then never want to upgrade? Because I, my argue would be, argument would be, sure, you'd look at something like Microsoft Word. If you want to use yeah. the very basic elements of, and we all, and people tend to use that as a good, and it's a good example, right? You use the very basic elements of putting together Word documents. But I would argue that that's the exception to the rule. With most software, with most technology, people want the upgrades. They want they want to be getting the new features. They want to be, you know, not just that, but getting the security updates and other bits and pieces, especially in the connected world that we're in today. I think that we're talking about two different eras of technology, right? Uh, you see, I, I don't think there's any fundamental difference between them, but we've, I, I think there are a whole bunch of people with interest in convincing you that it's somehow a step change. It's a paradigm shift, and therefore it's now a new world where you ought to be paying for this, and they've got good reasons to do that. So let's move your analogy from apples and chickens to at least apples and oranges. I don't think I can get it to be apples and apples. It would be like the difference between buying a really nice knife and paying $500 for this knife versus paying $10 a month and you always have a knife every month, new, sharp, shipped to you. Yeah. So you never have to worry about the knife breaking or rusting or being sharpened. I, th- I think you that's You just fair. always get a new knife that's sharp. Yeah. And you never have to worry about it. Yeah. That's really more close to the difference. They, Some people yeah. will want to pay for that service because they think, well, I don't want to learn how to yeah. sharpen a knife or these things break all the time or whatever it may be. They just want to say, I will pay much, much less, but pay per month. And always have a new knife. I completely agree with you. Now, imagine me. I don't want to pay for a new brilliant sharp knife every month, nor do I want to pay 500 bucks for a new knife. I want to pay 40 quid for a knife and then have it for the next 40 years because that's good enough for me and no one sells those knives anymore. Sure, then, uh, that's like using Audacity then versus using professional... Yeah, which which so is some why people I'm want using to use open Cubase, source software. Some, right, exactly. But you still ha- I don't know how that choice has been taken away. What's interesting to me is you don't want to pay per month but still find yourself doing though doing so. Is there any of the things you're currently paying monthly for that there realistically is not an alternative to. And let's exclude things like Dropbox, because I think they're, I, you're I, paying for I'm, storage, I, not I'm software. Not, I'm not paying for anything on a monthly basis, which isn't, in my opinion, at least a service. Everything so this is I really more for, about optionality than not about... Yeah, you're just I mean, philosophically against it. Well, you see, because I'm, I'm a weird case because I'm a free software guy, right? And open source has this whole separate position sort of off to the side of this argument because you weren't You're not a free software that. guy. You You're not a anyway. free software guy because you said, I'm a free software guy and open source. Oh, yeah. No <laughs> free software guy would, would mix those two together. You are, you are quite right. I'm an, I'm, an, I'm an open source person, right? And, and open source doesn't really have a place in this conversation at all. We've talked before about funding models for open source and whether you should pay for it and so on. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But yeah. It, it has a very... Uh, we, we can get into that in a bit, but it has a very uneven easy position in this conversation overall anyway because this is about paying for software and the open source model is don't have to do that well let me let me ask you both a question because i think a question for you Jono. Mm. Um, jeremy mentioned audacity yep. there you're a you're still a cubase score guy right yep um are you paying monthly for it now no um <clears throat> so cubase don't offer a monthly option Right, you have to buy versions, so uh, you know, and you as, pay the as, lower as upgrade. Software ought to be the point being that right. if you got a new, I mean, I assume when a new version comes out, you tend to buy it because they tend to build good software and it tends to have good new stuff in it and it's worth it. But you're not yep. obliged to. If you no. went ev- uh, everything that I need out of Cubase, it does today, or frankly, it did in the Lug Radio days fifteen years ago. You can just go, fine, I'm getting off the treadmill, and you're allowed. Mm, you can get off the treadmill for a short, undefined amount of time, because there will be a version of macOS or Windows, I'm assuming, right. for John over here, now, where that, oh, the whatever boxed version you bought doesn't work with whatever stop, the new OS you're working. using. So and that, there's exactly. still a treadmill, it's just a longer treadmill. That, that I will buy, I mean... From my point of view, that's technically orthogonal to this conversation, but I understand that from a practical point of view, it amounts to the same thing. Whether 
you feel like you've got to go and buy the new version because you actually want the features, or you feel like you've got to go and buy the new version because your 2005 version isn't supported anymore. You've still got to go and buy it. Well, so- it, seems, it, seem, it seems to me that there's a difference here, and I think that we're all – I don't want to speak for both of you. I know you act, but I don't want to speak for Jeremy, but I think we all would probably agree that it doesn't feel quite the same for the for these – these pieces of software that you run. So using the the Photoshop example, that that's different to the monthly service like Dropbox and something else like that. Like for example, Ecamm Live, right? Um, I'm paying I'm paying for it that way. And I don't like it, but I'm doing it because I need it. But for example, me paying my monthly fee for the training platform that I use for my courses, I have no issue paying. I have no issue doing that because they're delivering video to people and all the rest of it. Okay. And I think that's probably a bit of a differentiator here. What do you think is the reason why this is happening? Because my big view here is that it's for convenience. Like for me, I don't want to like, I'll, I'll give you an example with training. Uh, a friend of mine runs this website called guitar hacks and you know, where they do online training courses. Right. And He's decided to set up WordPress. He's running all of his own infrastructure. He's using his, you know, these specific WordPress plugins. He's had to do some engineering to kind of tweak them and tune them to his exact needs. And he's therefore got a very, very comprehensive infrastructure that he can use, but it requires a lot more babysitting. I use a service called Thinkific. I just pay my monthly fee and they do everything. And I like the convenience of that. I don't like having to go through the hassle of setting everything up myself. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, there's tons of open source out there that will do many of these different things, but then I've got to run my own servers. I've got to run my own infrastructure. And then I'm then yeah. I'm just deferring the monthly cost to Amazon and I've got the <laughs> maintenance burden of doing it. Do you think that's the main driver behind this? Or do you think it's other things why people uh, are doing this? Curious what Act thinks. I think there's at least two things at play here. One, I, I think the Oh god. The economics of software development have changed. And that's part of it. And I think the drivers yeah. for economic buying and con- consumers have changed. So on the consumer side, I think people want flexibility and they want ease. And there's this mindset where they want to try a thing and if they don't like it, they want to immediately get out of it. So the friction to spending $1,000 on Photoshop, I think, is higher now. And the platform mm. proliferation is higher now. People yes. want to be on their Mac sometimes and iOS sometimes and maybe on a tablet sometimes. Yeah, and they expect for sure. the things that they use to just work. So before where maybe you just had one Windows laptop as the average consumer, obviously not us, I think now the average consumer probably has three devices which is almost unprecedented until the last few years. Yeah. So I think the, yep. the that's the consumer side. On the software, you know, the software economic model side, delivering software to all those platforms, the web is really the only way to effectively do so, and that means there is a recurring cost, but it also allows you to drive innovation, which I hate that I just said, but it's true, in a way that is not possible with box software because the the iteration loops when you deliver via the web or or any kind of as a service platform are just so fundamentally fundamentally different than shipping box software where you need teams of QA testers and the feedback loops are in months, which feedback loops in months these days, people don't want that. So I, I think the realities have changed. And while yeah. philosophically, I agree with you, Ak, the technical part of my brain realizes that it's just not competitive to do so, which is why most software companies aren't doing it. If If people wanted it, a company would say, I'm going to make a version of that that isn't a service and you can download and will be profitable and it would work. And you're just not seeing that. He's, um, I agree with all of those points. I just think there's a couple more as well. Um, we're sort of oscillating backwards and forwards in between business and consumer here. <laughs> um, but we're not really talking about consumer software. Um, so first of all, Jeremy, I would absolutely dispute the whole People don't like it when the feedback cycle is in months. Or rather, I would agree with you, but I think there's a bunch of software which is. I invite you to go to Apple and go, this doesn't work in iOS, and see if they fix that by rolling out a fix one day later, which they totally don't. Uh, I mean, depending on how major the bug is, they roll it out pretty quickly. And that, they'll fix security bugs that The whole fast. reason Google decoupled a bunch of things in Android, right? So they can deliver play services twice a day if they want to in the background without you knowing 
I no, you see, I think the reason they decoupled it, um, the primary reason is to stop fragmentation. Because um, that's they, I mean, clearly also a reason, yes. But. I, I see. I think it's the reason, and the fact that they can roll it out twice a day is a nice side effect. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, but I can see how we, we it, maybe it's fifty percent of each, right? Totally bent by that. I think there um, are two sides of the same coin. Yeah. But yeah, but uh, but I think um, that it looks so much more compelling if you're a business to have people paying you every month and be locked in. That people that. If you're a business, you want to do that. Even if, in theory, your overall money looks the same because you either charge people £120 for the new version every year or you charge them £10 a month every month. It works out as the same amount of money. It's so much nicer to have a nice, convenient, flat revenue growth rather than it be really spiky. Because It's easier because to forecast, to, it's easier to plan around. The next version yeah. of the software isn't so critical to your future. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. a lot of knock-on effects Be- for sure. Because if, you, um, if you've got a bunch of subscription customers and all your people just decide, okay, from now on, we're just going to sit here and read the paper and we're going to do nothing on the software, right? Then, you know, we're not going to put in any effort into marketing. We're not going to put any effort into sales. It will take quite a long time for your existing base to decide hey, we're now annoyed enough that bugs aren't being fixed that we're going to leave. It all tails away very slowly. If you are selling box software and your sales team down tools, your money goes instantly to zero, right? The next day, (laughs) you never sell another copy. And obviously, it's a lot harder to run a business if you're selling box software. And I get that, and I'd want to do that if I was a business too. But... That doesn't necessarily make it better for the people buying it, just for the people selling it. I think it's just difficult, I think, because I remember what it was like when I wanted to buy, for example, a version of Cubase and it was going to be £300 or $500 or whatever. And I had to sit there and save up. And there's precisely no music being made while I'm waiting for that. And I like the fact that people who don't have as much cash can lay down some money and they can get access right away. Now, that there is going to be a long, you know, people talk about lifetime customer value, right? You're probably going to be, if they're delivering a good service, you're going to be on the hook for a long time. To me, a big, the big question here is, can you get your data out? Can you get your projects out? Oh, well. So with Cubase, you can't open those projects anywhere else. So you're locked in. Mm. It's vendor lock-in. You, um, you are, yeah. But, to a, you know, to take, a first for example, approximation, you are, um, I mean, in theory, you can still open up the, if you've got, um, software which you made in Cubase 2005 and you've still got Cubase 2005 and it still runs on a computer that you own today, you can still open those projects. But in practice, if you've got Cubase 2017 and they decide we're not going to support old projects anymore, you're still screwed. Well, and if you don't, if you want to, and if you're like, I don't want to use Cubase anymore, you, yeah. your, your projects are locked in. You know, that's where, like, for example, when I'm evaluating these these SaaS services, I always look at the exportability of this. Like, for example, I use G Suite, and one of the reasons for that is I can basically get everything out of G Suite if I need to. Yeah, um, with you go- know, with Google Takeout. This this all this all begs the question: Has open source failed? Because what's happening right now is Stallman's worst nightmare. Right, this is the world he didn't want to build. Um, and not you know, only the, the, not only has it been built, it's been built by people where the bottom eighty five percent of what they're offering is all open source. Yeah. <laughs> the 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 ten percent of crispy flaky pastry on the top of it is the only bit that they actually <laughs> built over the succulent meat pie of open source software. <laughs> the, wow. Um, I really I... hope Marius clips out <laughs> that specific <laughs> statement and puts it at the beginning of this show. Well, you know. Um, but, I, I mean, I completely agree <laughs> with you. This, I think that sort of feeling of that sense of a fear of lock-in of being forced to do a thing that you didn't want to do is what drove a lot of people's interest in open source in earlier days. I, I suspect all three of us were at least partially motivated by it. Yeah. And getting your data back out of a piece of software that you can no longer run, I think it's like taking backups in that everyone gets burned once and after that they're really careful about it. But you have to be burned once. Yeah. So I no I, I don't think open source has failed. 
whenever whenever <laughs> there's a question in there it's a no uh but i think that you look you need to look no further than say wordpress to show that you can have both and do both well yes right wordpress very open source and wordpress the company automatic doing very well yeah, yeah. <laughs> offering software as a service uh yes um uh, first of all, they don't only offer software as a service. You can get the software. You can, in quotes, buy the software from them for zero money and run it yourself and not yep. have to be on the hook forever. So maybe open source fits into the earlier model is just the, the purchase price is zero. <laughs> um, um, I actually think that's going to be a. I think that's a, 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 an interesting model, and it. I don't want to get back into the open core discussion that we had a few shows yeah. ago because that's <laughs> another element of this. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think also one of the reasons why WordPress are an interesting example is because, um, and this again goes against Stallman's view, is that they've been very happy to facilitate a commercial ecosystem. So to give you an example, mm-hmm. yeah. I run my website on WordPress um, and I use a theme called Divi. Now, Divi do the monthly thing that you pay, but they also offer a a lifetime package where you basically pay a big lump sum and then you get f- future updates for free forever. And it's it's one of the best deals I've ever experienced in my life. So you did this like five years ago or something. Do you pay yeah. monthly or uh, do you did you buy the lifetime? I bought I bought the lifetime. I, I think it was probably eight or nine years ago actually now that I bought that. And um to to this day I get free updates. Yeah. Follow up question. Did you buy the monthly first? find you really nope. liked it and then went lifetime you immediately bought lifetime how I did immediately you know bought you it. liked it? it it just was streets ahead of everything else every other theme that i was seeing at the but time you, but you hadn't even used it you you made that judgment based on screenshots uh well i did my research i saw reviews and saw youtube videos that people oh, had done and made that okay. decision yeah but then <laughs> uh, but you know and, and that could have been a very bad decision but also it was like 250 dollars. it wasn't going to break the bank I mean, it's not cheap, but in the scheme of things, yeah, it is. the amount of value that I've had, it's incredibly cheap in the how, long term. How much is long- it per month? Finger in the air, I guess. About $10? I have no idea. I'll look it up. Because Elegant you've got things. the last six years for free if it's $10. Hang on. And you will Let's continue have to have it for free Oh, if forever. it's 250 bucks, I bet you it's $30, $20. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, and, uh, oh, plans... Plans and pricing. Okay, yeah, okay. here we go. This, this will be interesting. Oh, they do, they do yearly access and lifetime access. Their yearly access is $70 a year. Their lifetime access is $199 one-time payment. So basically, wow. if you're going to... So, so the break-even point is three years. If you're if you're planning on buying it this year and the next two years, buy the lifetime plan. You might as well because it's cheaper anyway. And also, oh. include support. Yeah. I, I mean, am super curious what the revenue looks like. Uh, I'm amazed they're still around, honestly. I, I, I don't understand. <laughs> I'm assuming that uh, if you were to describe their revenue, it would be described as indistinguishable from the X-axis. Because they can't possibly <laughs> make any money on it. It's great. I mean, if they're and, around seven years later, they must be making uh, money. And I, I can tell you, um, uh, anyone from Divi, if you're listening to this, this is not something Jono has made up for this show. He hasn't shut up about his stupid WordPress theme. For years, he's honestly been going on about this forever. So this is where we'd like to introduce our new sponsor, Bad Voltage, brought to you by Divi. <laughs> if you think about it, it's it genius because Divi people, you want to have a conversation, show up Bad Voltage talk. Let's know. So what, but what's genius? If, if you think about it, it's genius because uh, first of all, once they've built these updates, they just you know they ship them out to it's cost them almost nothing to ship them out to me they're constantly building updates that are bringing new customers in but what they're doing is they're making me into the ultra customer because i don't shut up about divi because it's such a good deal i'm actually yeah. not surprised that, and how often do i need support from them basically never no exactly. so i think it's i think it's uh, this is to me the model that people should be going for and then that solves your problem act because people can have their one-time fee uh, and people can pay yeah, if they you can to. elect to do this uh, i mean from you still being there eight years later and still getting updates it's like those people who show up to zippo with a lighter from 1933 <laughs> and go it says lifetime um lifetime guarantee on the bottom and they always go yeah absolutely and then they fix it for you totally they're utterly yeah. happy to do that and i think that's it shows 
confidence in your wares as a business rather than let's scare up as much money as we can now and then yeah. do something not else. Not wares, right? You're not talking about illegal software Ooh. from the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> that I used to download while listening to mod files. Um, anyway. <laughs> what you, <laughs> on, that, wow. on that half our audience fucking bombshell. no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Seriously. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd be interested to hear, um, as ever, yes. other people's thoughts on this. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, should be... If if your opinion is that no one should ever pay any money for software anywhere for any reason, then okay, I respect your right to hold that opinion, but we're having a different discussion here. Yes, yes. So be sure to go to the Slack channel, which we don't pay monthly for. We're still in the free tier. <laughs> <laughs> and share your thoughts. I, I would love to get people's sense of this. Uh, I just think it's a really interesting trend. Uh, it's, some, it's something that we're, we all accept, but we're not all necessarily happy with. Um, yeah. So yeah, but I Go think even the box software—not to add one more variable right at the end—but I think even the boxed software world, with the way activation services work, kind of still subscriptions. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I just really. <laughs> what? Anyway, <laughs> I just I was talking about show titles. And I was just flicking through them to see which ones I came up with, and we named a show "Earballs." This is the reason why we have no listeners. <laughs> All right, pause and for the end. That's the bit before the music. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs>